This morning, I want to share about unity and how O Holy Night roots unity in worshiping Jesus. It begs us to hear that on Christmas, the world was changed, no longer divided apart, but united together by God. This is good news, and God wants us to hear it this morning and to believe it and to live differently as a result. In the early 1900s, the world was divided. There were no telephones, no email, no Snapchat or Instagram messages. People connected with letters and telegrams. It was a much different place. But on Christmas Eve, 1906, something changed. Around the country, radio operators heard something new from their speakers. Not the dots and dashes of Morse code, but a violin playing a familiar melody, one they would have known and maybe even started singing along with. Singing, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. What they were hearing was Dr. Reg Fessenden broadcasting the first ever radio program to celebrate Christmas and to test out his new broadcasting technology. He played O Holy Night on his violin, and then he wished his listeners Merry Christmas and Good Night. And in an instant, people were connected in a brand new way, united together even when they were apart, and the world was never the same. O Holy Night was written for a divided world to remind us that we have been united in Jesus at Christmas. Its authors knew a thing about division, even as they worked for unity. The first version of O Holy Night was written in France in 1847. The French Revolution had just happened, and society was being remodeled. There was a hope for something new, something better. But the people were still deeply divided and afraid. They needed hope. So a wine merchant wrote this song at Christmas to remind people of hope. At the same time, America was also divided. There was lots of conflict over slavery and the government and religion. The nation was leaving the honeymoon of the American Revolution and quickly moving towards the crisis of the Civil War. And just like the nation, the church was very divided over how Christians were supposed to live, if slavery was immoral or necessary, if God was a God of grace, or a God of wrath. It was a mess. And it was in the middle of all these divisions that a former pastor translated O Holy Night from French into English to bring the people hope and to remind them that humans were united in Jesus and to show another way forward in this unity. John Sullivan Dwight used to be a Unitarian minister and later on in his life, he became a famous music critic but when he translated O Holy Night, he was living on a communal farm in Massachusetts, teaching music. The people he lived with at Brook Farm were trying to show the world that being together was better than being divided. They worked equally, they shared their food, they contributed their money to the farm, and they took time to write literature and make art. And they strove to practice Christianity freed from the disputes that split the country. Their community wasn't perfect. It eventually failed. But the ideals of equality, justice, unity, and freedom live on in John Dwight's version of O Holy Night. 
because John Dwight believed that Jesus's birth changed things. And he believed that the division and the oppression and the selfishness of humanity were overcome at Christmas. When God chose to become one of us, to unite us in Jesus. And so he translated, O Holy Night, to remind the people of that. And if we let it, O Holy Night can still do the same to us. I want to take a look at one image from the song this morning that shows us that we're united. The image of the star and the three magi. Matthew tells us their story in the second chapter of his gospel. He writes, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where's the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Many of us know the story of these three magi. They were called from the east to seek out a king who had been born in Israel, who they had discovered in the stars, a king that they wanted to honor. That king was baby Jesus. And when they met Jesus, they gave him gifts, and they left on another way than they had come. It's a familiar story at Christmas time. Heck, some of you might have even played a magi in a Christmas pageant. But their role in the Christmas story is not as simple as entering stage left with presents for baby Jesus. In Greek, the word magi is the plural of magos, which means magician. The magi weren't believers in God. They were believers in magic. They were astronomers and astrologers, students of the stars and the mysteries they contained. They worshiped those stars. And the people of God disagreed with them, rejected them, because they looked to the stars instead of the one who created the stars. They worshiped the creation instead of the creator. They didn't even believe in God. What were they doing worshiping baby Jesus? Why were they there? Why would Matthew include them in his story? Matthew's trying to tell us a deeper story by including these outsiders. A story that is meant to challenge us to reconsider who we think Jesus is and why he came to earth. Because the divisions that we see around us are not the whole story. On Christmas, the divisions of our world were done away with and we were united in Jesus. And so we should worship Matthew uses these three people considered to be outsiders to show us that all people have been called by God to come and to know Jesus and to worship him, including the Magi, because he loved them and he wanted to be with them, just like he loves you and wants to be with you. Their story is our story. Matthew continues in chapter 2. We find the Magi on the road, heading west, guided by a star and the Jewish prophet Micah. Micah's prophecy in the Bible foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so the Magi are heading there to go see this king. The stars got the Magi on their journey toward Jesus. God reached out to them in a way that only they could understand and a way that they trusted. 
But Micah, Micah showed them where to go. And the words of scripture always give us specific directions to God. They always lead us to Jesus. We can't get there on our own. We need God's word to get us to Jesus. Matthew writes, When they heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Magi's journey ends at Jesus' house, where God has called them to worship Jesus, outsiders who didn't even believe in God. But God called them to Jesus to testify that he was the true king who would save the world. Notice what happens. The scriptures say that they knelt down and paid the baby Jesus homage, and they kneeled and placed their treasure at his feet. These outsiders did what insiders should have done. Yet, it was just them, paying the baby Jesus homage. In the ancient days, if you were given an audience with a king, you would pay him homage. You would kneel in reverent submission to their authority. You would place whatever you had at their disposal, including your life. And then you would wait, wait for their directions. And then you would do what they said, because that's the right way to treat a king. But there's another way to describe what it means to pay homage. Worship. How you treated a king was the same way that you were supposed to treat a god. By submitting your life to them and doing what they say, you were supposed to worship them. Matthew uses this word to describe the Magi's worship of the stars. But now they're not worshiping the stars, they're worshiping God, paying him homage and placing their lives at his disposal, waiting for his direction. But this isn't always how worship is described to us today, is it? When I think of worship, I think of a bunch of different components. Hymns and songs, guitars and drums, prayers and scripture readings, tithing and serving others. And it's true, all of these are part of our worship. But they're not the whole enchilada. To worship God is to acknowledge God as our true king, placing our lives at his disposal, and then waiting for his direction, doing what he tells us. Because that is how you live as a subject of the king. And like everything else, worship is something that we choose to do. It's an important choice, the most important choice, because what we choose to worship will shape our entire lives. Worship is really powerful because when we worship something, we kneel before it and we pay it homage. We place ourselves at its disposal. We choose to make serving that thing our ultimate responsibility. We change our allegiance to it because we say that it is the ruler and we are its subjects. 
But let's be honest, it isn't just religious people who worship. Everybody worships. We worship sports teams, schools, other people, money, occupations, and hobbies. They all compete for our allegiance. Here's an example. I love the Mets. I have since I was a kid. I was raised watching them. I still watch them now. I cheer for them. I celebrate their victories. I mourn defeat. But if being a Mets fan is my ultimate allegiance, I'm separated out from everyone else who isn't a Mets fan because they have a different allegiance, one that's opposed to mine. I'll forever be at odds with Phillies fans or Yankees fans or people who don't even like baseball because there's no common unity between us because I worship the Mets and they don't. This thinking extends beyond sports. This is true of money, of success, of anything that we worship instead of God because worshiping puts something else in power over us something that shapes what we think is good in the world and who is good and who isn't good. If we worship the wrong thing, it will divide us from other people. If we worship the right thing, it will unite us. And there is one person who is rightly worshiped, who can bear the responsibility to direct our lives correctly and who we should follow, Jesus. God with us, who became one of us, who lived the perfect human life with no division between him and God. And then he took all of everybody else's division to the grave when he died, when he sacrificed himself on the cross for every person in the world so that we could know what unity looks like. And then he rose again a new life with unity, unity with God, and with us. And so when Matthew tells us that the Magi paid homage to Jesus, we should pay attention because they choose a new king right in front of our eyes. They gave up the stars and they chose to worship God. And in that moment, they joined the people of God. They became our brothers in faith and they began on a new path, a path that leads to God walking with everyone else who has worshiped God. We should also choose God to be our true king because only God can lead us rightly. We should choose him each day, in each minute. And when we find ourselves worshiping something else, we should stop. And we should choose to worship God again. Don't be afraid of what God might say when you come back to him. He will always forgive you for your sin because God is love for all people. No matter if you're an insider or an outsider, you have been called to worship God. Unity comes when we worship God, when we acknowledge him as our true king. We become citizens of a new land with new neighbors, a land where there's no division and unity is the norm. It's a unity that cuts across all of our social boundaries, poor and rich, young and old, American and Nigerian, in prison and freed. United together by our King, who came to us at Christmas, who called the world to him. 
John Davis saw that the division around him was not how it should be. And all the structures and the governments could never fix it. Only God could bring unity that lasts into this world. And so he did at Christmas in Jesus. John Davis translated O Holy Night to help the people see God's way to unity. A way that hears God calling to us wherever we are. A way that encounters Jesus, that honors Jesus as our true king. A way that places our lives into God's hands and waits for God's direction. United together in our worship. O Holy Night reminds us of this as we sing together. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. O praise his name forever. His power and his glory evermore proclaim. This is good news that should bring us great joy this Christmas season. Let's pray to God together. Good and gracious God, we thank you that at Jesus you came to us and united us. That you have called all people to yourself, not just the people that we think should be there. Help us to see this and to live this truth out in our lives. And as we go forth, God, help us to proclaim the good news with great joy and to sing that you are the one who has united us. So we pray all of these things in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen.